Oh, it's always good to be here. It actually is 37 years ago. My wife and I were married in this building, and boy, it has been a blessing. So there's a lot of history that has gone on. And then it was my first time I ever preached. Took place here. It was on a, on a New Year's Eve service. And that was a special. I was scared silly, I'll tell you. And, and the amazing thing is they keep on asking me to come back. And so that, I don't know. Anyway, it is good to be here. And it has been a long history that we have um, been associated with Open Bible and, and not only your former pastor, but also I call him Young George because I remember when he was young, but as he's grown up, you like his socks? Have you noticed that? I mean, I'm thinking I'm going to have to get something like that. That's... Uh, <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's something new. I always get new ideas when I come to different churches. I'm not sure that I'll pick up polka dotted socks. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyways, this morning we're going to get a rare glimpse in the Word of God. By that, I mean, we're going to see a man who has been going through 26 years of trial. I mean, it wasn't an easy thing for him to go through those 26 years of trial. And I have to confess, I don't know all that God saw. But today, we have been given glimpses in Scripture that will show us some of the things that God saw that that man did not see at all when he was going through those trials. And it's like pulling back the pages of Scripture. And, and even in our lives to see the things that God does in people's lives when they go through trials, though they can't see it happening at the time. And from it, I think there's going to be four things we're going to learn. If there's anything I want you to learn, I want you to get something out of this. And there's four things I think we'll be able to see as we're going to be looking at this passage in fact, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 39, if you want to even turn there. But the four things I want you to see is, is God's grace as it's poured out on us while we're going through trials. And sometimes we think there's no grace. God has locked up the heavens and we don't see anything at all. I want you to learn about God's grace as it's poured on us. And we can see it if it's true then. It's also true in our lives when we're going through those things. Second thing I want you to see is God's sovereign hand. Because we're going to see a sovereign hand moving in the hearts of men. Sometimes people can have hard hearts. But we're going to see his, his sovereign hand moving in the hearts of men and actually moving in the hands of, in history and moving it to his end. Sometimes we lose perspective of those things. I think the third thing we're going to see, and we're going to be assured of his power, his power to change hearts. I'll tell you what, sometimes you think they'll never change. They'll always be that way. No. We're going to see in this trial, and God uses this trial to change hearts and to change men. The impossible, the most difficult, the most hardened. And I think the last thing we're going to see is his great love, because his great love is going to be seen toward the most unworthy. I mean, these people are sinners, human traffickers. I mean, these people are wicked. 
And yet God has taken hold of their lives and changed them and uses trials to change the hearts of people. And so I pray that your heart will be ready. Maybe there's a trial you're going through. Maybe there's a difficulty that you're, you're seeing and it, it will never change. Sometimes you're just looking at the history of our world today and you think, oh man, this is a mess. I think we're going to be able to see what God is doing. So let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to do a marvelous work today. That you move not only in the hearts of every individual here, that you open up our understanding to your word. That as we pull back the veil, that we'll be able to see how your sovereign hand moves in the hearts of men and in the hands of history bringing it about to your end. And I pray that you'll encourage the people here. Maybe some really need encouragement. Maybe some are really struggling. Certainly you know what's going on. And we're asking you to do a marvelous work today. And we pray it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. What is it that you see when you go through a trial? I think some of you have been through trials. I mean, what is the thing that you see when you're going, th going through a trial? You know, maybe it was a messy divorce. What was the thing that you saw when you went through that? Maybe it was a serious illness. What was it that you saw when you're going through it? Or, or maybe it was a child that you loved and you nurtured and you poured out your life into them, and then they go wayward. What is it that you go through when you go through those kind of trials? You know, the only thing I think I see when I go through something like that, I see just the trial. And it's really hard to see what God is doing in the lives of people. And so today we're getting a snapshot here of Joseph. And Joseph is 17 years of age when he was in his parents' house. And as he was growing up in his parents' house, his brothers were hating him, and they sold him into slavery. Actually, threw him into a pit. I hope there were no snakes in that pit. I mean, threw him into a pit, and, and then they sold him into slavery. Can you imagine what he was going through when, when he was going, this beginning of this 26-year trial? He didn't know it was 26 years. He thought, how am I going to get out of this pit? You're in Genesis, uh, just go to Genesis chapter 37. I should have had you start there. L look, at, look at verse uh, 8. I want you to see just the, the heart and the mind of, their, of his brothers. You can see it here in, in verse 8. It says right in the middle part of the verse. They hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. They, they hated him. Can you imagine being hated by your, your 10 brothers? I mean, and, and then drop down to verse 11. Notice what it says here. And his brothers envied him. They envied him because they had daddy's love. I mean, that, that's why they envied him. They, they wanted to have what, what daddy was showing them. And you probably think, well, why did daddy favor Joseph over these other 10 sons? <laughs> Go back to chapter 34. I want you to understand, the other sons who had grown up in, in, uh, with their dad before he actually had his meeting with the Lord as they're coming back into the promised land, the other ten sons were, were brought up 
outside of the promised land. They learned a lot of wicked things. And you, you can see it right here because of this unnatural hatred that was growing up. They, they saw their brother as righteous and they knew they weren't. And that's why daddy didn't like, well, what loved, this dad loved them. But it wasn't the same kind of thing as he favored Joseph. Uh, look, if you will, at uh, verse 25. Notice what it says here, chapter 34, verse 25. And it came to pass on the third day that they were sore, and two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dana's brothers, took each other's sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. You may remember the story. Dana was raped. The reason why she was raped, she was hanging out with the pagans, and they took her, and one of the men raped her. And then Simeon and Levi... I mean, were outraged in their thinking, and they go and they murder all the males. I mean, it got so bad that as the dad, Jacob, was thinking, our whole family is going to be wiped out by the surrounding community because of their anger toward us. It was only because of God's sovereign hand they weren't attacked. Think about it. You have two brothers, Simeon and Levi, out of control anger. These guys are murderers. And then just go to chapter um, 35. I want you to look at the oldest born. Chapter 35, verse, verse 22. says, And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in a land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhel, his father's concubine. This guy, the oldest son, was involved in incest. I hope you're getting this. This is the chosen people. This is Jacob's sons that are going to form the tribes of Israel. And we're finding two of them are very cruel, anger out of control, and then the other one now is involved in incest. You think this is why Jacob had a hard time with his sons. And I, I, I want you to go to chapter 37. Chapter 37. The sons of Zilpha and Bilhal. That's the rest of the sons. And, and notice what was happening with these in verse 2. It says, And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhal and the sons of Zilpha and his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. I mean, the others were doing something that was very scoundrelly. They were, they were out doing their wicked deeds, and Joseph was witnessing, and he was going to bring it back to Dad. Hey, Dad, you understand the other sons, they're just as bad as Reuben is and Simeon and Levi. I mean, Jacob was a broken-hearted dad. And so he favored Joseph because Joseph was more righteous than his other sons. And so there was some kind of favoritism, and this, this anger and this hatred and this envying went on so much so that they wanted to kill him. I don't know if you've been in a home where your family hates you so much they want to kill you, but that's just what happened here. I want you to look at verse 18. It says, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. 
I mean, this was in, this is raw anger. This is raw hatred. And, and Joseph, no, he understood that they, they envied him. He did not see it until it exploded on the scene here as they ripped off his coat and they grabbed him and they decided, well, we're not going to kill him. We're going to throw him into a pit. Now, that was Reuben's idea because Reuben wanted to make sure that they weren't going to kill him. But I mean, just think about it. They were, they were so callous. Look at verse 24. It says, And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it, and they sat down to eat bread. We want to kill our brother. In fact, they're now going to discuss how we're going to... We're not going to stab him with a sword. Maybe we're just going to cover up and just leave him so no one will find him in this pit. I mean, just think, maybe we can throw a couple scorpions down there. I mean, I don't know. They, and they were just callous, and they were making these plots to kill him. Finally, it was Judah, in verse 26, says, And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it to, if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And as the Ishmaelites came by and the Midian um, merchants there, they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 25 pieces of silver. Can you imagine what it was like? I mean, just use your sanctified imagination. As they're dragging him out of the pit, he's screaming. I mean, he was fighting. Wouldn't you fight? Man, I'd be fighting like crazy. And they, they had to tie his hands and he's screaming. And I can't imagine the words that were coming out of everybody's mouth. And he goes off. And he's gone, sold into slavery. Can you imagine the beginning of the trial? Anger, bitterness, fear. I mean, he had all those things that were going on. And literally, it consumed Joseph and everything that he was having. That's all he could see. Lord, why are you doing this? I mean, I've been better off than my brothers, and I've been trying to do the best. And I'm in this, I'm going to be sold into slavery. You, you know what they did when they got to Egypt. I mean, we know from history, at least some of the ways that they treated the slaves. And perhaps this is what was happening with Joseph. They, they probably stripped him naked. They, they changed him to a post. And he was there standing before the public and they would come because you just became a, a piece of property. That's it. A, a piece of meat that they could sell. And they can do anything they want. And he's just chained there to this post. And then they're selling him. Fortunately, by God's grace, and he did not see this. He's just being sold into slavery. He's sold into Potiphar's house. But I'll tell you, the rage and fear and despair. Can you imagine going through that kind of trial? And wondering what's going on and humiliated in the way that it was humiliated. Then it goes to Potiphar's house. We know from Scripture that he was 13 years in Potiphar's house, 17 years old, until he was 30 years old. 13 years. Now, things got better because he proved himself worthy, and he started probably at the bottom rung, and, and as Potiphar saw that he was worthy and capable, and God's hand was on him, and so there must have been some kind of blessing going on, at least some of the trial was abated. But I know if I were going through that kind of trial, I'd be thinking to the back of my mind. I'd be thinking, I'll never see Daddy again. Why did my brothers do what they did to me? 
How can I lose all those freedoms that I had and never, I'll never see them again? I mean, I'm sure. He went through every piece of that until it got worse. You ever go through a trial and you think you're through? And, and at least you can live with the trial that you're going through. And then, it, I mean, it turns upside down. It gets worse than anything you can ever imagine. Because I want you to go to chapter 39. And in chapter 39, I want you to just look at verse 8. Because Potiphar had a wife. And as he's growing up and he becomes 30 years old, he's a handsome young man. And she starts hitting on him. I can't imagine all the things, all the suggestions, and all the words that were said, but she was probably hitting on him and uh, doing things that were scandalously uh, with the things that she was doing. And it got so bad, you can read it here in verse 9. Well, verse 7 will help us. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master knoweth not what is with me in the house. And he that hath committed all as he hath to my name. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Elise had God in his mind, and he was standing for righteousness. And you would think, because I'm standing for righteousness, God's going to vindicate. And what do they do? They throw him into jail. I mean, how can this, from a pit to Potiphar's house, and then into something that's even lower, they're throwing me into prison. Now, I don't want you to think of a prison in the United States of America. I want you to think of what the prisons were like then, we are told what they're like. I want you to turn to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. And when you get there to Psalm 105, I want you uh, to look at verse 17. Psalm 105, verse 17. We get a little snapshot of God's view, verse 17. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. Joseph did not see this when he was in the pit. This is what he saw when he was in the pit, verse 18. Whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in irons. In other words, his feet were in chains, and they were rubbing so much that it got swollen and bloody, and he was there two years plus in prison. Oh, I know God blessed him when he was in prison. But it says here that he was in stocks and chains when he was in this prison. And walking around when he would have these chain leg irons on him, I mean, literally he was in pain. Lord, the kind of trial, and all I did was righteousness. I mean, I can imagine the anguish that this man had. Interesting, verse 19. This continued until the time that his, God's word, came. The word of the Lord tried him. Let me get that last part. The word of the Lord tried him. 
You see, God was doing something in Joseph's life, and though Joseph probably didn't understand it, 13 years in Potiphar's house, two-plus years that he's there in prison, God was doing something unique. Sometimes when we're going through trials, that's all we see is the trial. I mean, it's really hard to see anything else. Now, I have been in trials myself. And I'll tell you what, it's been hard to even get out of bed when I've gone through those trials. I mean, all I had, I mean, it was forced to get out of bed, to put one foot in front of the other, and I was numb on top of it. And then to think of what I had to do was overwhelming. And it's just a tough thing going through trials. Lord, what are you doing? Well, some of you have probably been there. If you haven't been there, some of you will probably be facing that sometime in your life. First question I noticed that Christians ask, why me? You know, how can an all-loving God allow these things to happen to me when I haven't done anything bad? I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as the people down the street. Yet I'm having this. And that's, those are thoughts that we have. How can God allow some of his own? Joseph was his own. How could God allow some of his own to go through these things? You know, we have a woman in our church, godly woman. I mean, you would look, she's the best cook. Half my weight that I have is because of her. She's a good cook. Man, she just cooked our men's breakfast. I miss that. I always love having the men's breakfast because she'll get up there and she'll cook up a storm. Now, she has six kids. Godly woman as it is, and I'll tell you what, she can open up the word and can she even expose it to the ladies? She shares the word of God with them. They come along and she's able to comfort them. But of her six kids, five of them are wayward. It's, she's a, it's brokenhearted. How can this happen, Lord? Why are they gone wayward? And, and, and then not on top of that, she had a husband that loved the Lord and he was walking with the Lord and he became bitter. And the root of bitterness began to grab into his heart and literally just devastate him. And, and literally today, I mean, he is so far, well, he's beginning to come back a little bit, but so far, and you think, how can God allow these things to take place? What is God, what does God have in store? And, and every once in a while, she'll ask us these questions. Little does she know that God is even working behind the scenes. I can see little threads of those things. He's using those trials. We have another couple in our church, godly couple. I mean, they're the most wonderful people. You would love to have them here. He is the most gifted pianist. He's one of these guys that sits down at the piano. I mean, doesn't have anything in front of him. He can play anything. He hears it once, he plays it, and it's just perfect. Now, he's been taken out of our music ministry because his wife got bit by a tick on their honeymoon. Not only did she get bit by the tick, she got Lyme disease, that's one thing, but she also has three other things that came from this infection from this tick bite. Literally in March, she couldn't even continue nursing her child and people in our church had to go there 24 seven just about to care for them. The family is devastated, not only emotionally, financially, and in every other way. And they're the most godly couple. How can God allow these things to take 
place. I mean, some people, and you go through that, and you wonder, I know that's probably what Joseph was thinking. How in the world can God allow this to go on? So I want you to kind of look behind the scenes. And I think we're going to be able to see some of the things. I'll start off with Joseph. So just go back to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39, because it's more than just Joseph. And, and that's something that we forget to see. In Joseph's life, God saw the pit, he saw Potiphar's house, and he saw the prison. I know that because it says it here in Scripture. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, says it here in Potiphar's house. It says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper. Now, it wasn't complete deliverance at this moment, but at least God's hand, and people saw it, and Joseph experienced God's hand even in the midst of this difficulty. Now, I'm sure 100% of the time he didn't feel that God's hand was on him, but God was blessing him. Then he's thrown into prison. Notice what it says here in, in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. Think about the lousy food he probably had in prison. Maybe some of the mercy was just better food. Maybe some of the mercy was that he was unshackled from those chains for a little bit to walk around the prison as he was working with the prison master for a few hours without the chains. Mercy. I don't know what it was, but, you know, God showed mercy to him and he experienced mercy. But I want you to see something else that God was doing in the midst of this trial. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 37. God not only saw Joseph in those 26 years in trial, he also saw his father, Jacob. We, we forget about that. I mean, think of what Jacob was going through. He just lost a son. It, it says it here when we're in um, Genesis chapter 37, verse uh, 34. It says, And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. How would you like to comfort Daddy. You're the one who put him into the pit. All his sons rose up to comfort dad. I'm so sorry with the loss of Joseph. How insincere these sons were when they're going through it. And Joseph, I mean, Jacob is just brokenhearted and he's just pouring out his heart before him. And it says here, I will go down into the grave unto my son's mourning. Thus his father wept, thinking he will never see his son again. God's going to have mercy on Jacob. And he's going to do it through the trial that Joseph's going through. Sometimes we don't see that, but God was working with Jacob's life. But do you realize that God was using Jacob also in this trial? Because remember the one Judah who sold, says Joseph, who's in that, that pit, we're going to sell him to the Ishmaelites? 
Notice what happened to a Judah. God was working behind the scenes in Judah's heart. Chapter 38, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren. I want you to read between the scenes, uh, at least those lines that you have there. Judah says, I can't live at home seeing dad grieving. I can't face my brothers who had this plot to murder him. And I was part of it. I can't stand my family. I'm gone. That's what happened. And then not only that, he turned into a certain uh, Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her and had children. In other words, he married a Canaanite. That certainly wasn't part of the plan. I mean, the family didn't want this. He started hanging around with pagans. Judah got so far away from the Lord, he was picking up prostitutes. You read this passage. It's what it talks about. He picked up Tamar, his own daughter-in-law, thinking she was a prostitute. He had to be tricked to keep God's word. This is Jacob's family. This is Joseph's family. Anybody have a family like this? You have two brothers that are angry and murdered some people. You know, and, and then not only that, you have Reuben who was living in incest, Judah who's hanging out and picking up prostitutes. Oh, by the way, this is the foundation of the tribe of Israel. Also through Judah comes the Messianic line. What in the world is God doing? I mean, think about this. Not only was God working in Jacob's life, in Judah's life, God was also working in Joseph's other brothers. I want you to go to chapter 42. Chapter 42. When you get there, look at verse 21. Now, I kind of jumped ahead in the timeline. You know, 13 years Joseph was with Potiphar and two years in prison. He had probably another six or seven years that he was working, or more than that, probably nine years that he was working with Pharaoh before his brothers show up. Look at verse 21. And they said one to another, we are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Do you realize all those years Joseph's brothers were feeling guilt over the things that were going on? Do you know what God was doing behind the scenes? He was breaking their heart. It was going to take a lot of time. He was breaking their heart because he was going to change their heart so that they would be able to come back to him. Remember, this family is the family that lays the foundation for Israel, at least the nation of Israel that we know today where the Messiah was coming through. If God is going to allow this to keep on going, it's going to be a mess. God's working behind the scenes and using Joseph's trial to begin to bring all these things back together again. Hmm. I want you to see something else that he saw. Go to Genesis chapter 15. We have a God that sees the future. Genesis chapter 15. It says right here, he saw that they're going to end up in Egypt. It says it right here, verse 13, chapter 15. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall 
and they shall afflict them 400 years. God knew this. God knew that the people of Israel could not stay in this, in this land with the Canaanites surrounding them. You know why? Because the Canaanites were going to corrupt them. Hanging out in this polluted culture, they're only going to get worse, and there will be no nation that's going to come out of this that's going to be worthy of the Messiah ever coming out of them. You can see it. Verse 16 tells us this. It says, but in the fourth generation, they shall come hither for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, the Amorites that were there and the, and the Canaanites that lived in that particular area were so wicked then they were affecting the people. I mean, think of what Reuben did and think of what Simeon and Levi did and think of what Judah did. I mean, they're affecting the family. If he leaves them there and doesn't move them into Egypt, they won't even be around. See, God foreknew all these things, and he was doing a marvelous work using this young man, 26 years. Terrible time, but for good. So as we think about it, God is in the process of working in every aspect and working everything out. In this, we can see God's omnipotence. He's behind the scenes preparing the hearts. Now, God also does this because he doesn't want to leave anything to question. So just go to chapter 37. Chapter 37, again, look at verse 5, because I don't know, maybe there's someone out here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I see this all the time. You know, they're coming and they're seeking and they want to know information. And they know, well, this is just a coincidence. All these things you can just put all together. Well, God didn't want any coincidence. And so he did something so that the people, even in Joseph's day, would be able to say, yes, this is a work of God. And so we see in verse 5 here that Joseph dreamed a dream. Remember, the scriptures in those days were not complete. Even this record wasn't written at that point in time. And so God was communicating, especially with dreams, and Joseph dreamed a dream. And it says, and he told it to his brother, and they hated him all the more because it was a prophetic dream, though they did not see it at that time. They see these sheaves bowing down and worshiping him, and the brothers understood that they were the sheaves bowing down and worshiping him. How can that be? But God was giving them a snapshot. He says, one day this is going to happen, and you're going to know this is of me. So he wanted to make sure that their hearts were going to be prepared, and at the time that God was going to turn everything, it was going to be just like that. And they're going to be saying, yes, this is of God, and they will see it. So what do we learn from all these things? Because I know when we read a scripture and we see all the trials that are going on and we see the trials that Joseph's going through and, and we experience trials also, we got a little snapshot of some of the things that God does behind the scenes. I mean, he's, even in your trial, God is doing things behind the scenes that we don't see. And you know, he's doing, he's working everything to good. How do we apply this? I have a few things I'd like to give you. First thing that we can see is very simple. In these passages, we can see God's grace to the undeserved. Think about it. 
Do you think Joseph's brother deserved anything? I mean, human traffickers selling their brother into slavery. I mean, lying to their father, deceiving their father, envy, and all the other sins that you can imagine that these guys had. They don't deserve God's grace. He said he just left them. If it was Craig Scott, leave him there. Mm -mm, not God. I'm going to work all things in their heart. I'm going to change their heart. And I'm going to bring them back so they're going to look to me and fix the situation. This is God's grace. We can see God's grace in the undeserved. Is this not a snapshot of salvation? There's not a soul here that ever deserves God's grace. We're all sinners. Well, let me tell you, I was a sinner. I am a sinner. Saved by grace by the Lord Jesus Christ because what he has done. I mean, you can almost kind of see some of the things that God is working even in Joseph's life. How much was he sold for? How many pieces of silver? Wasn't Christ sold at the same amount of silver as Joseph was? He was envied for righteousness. Was not the Lord envied for righteousness? I mean, just little foreshadowings of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's marvelous grace to us who are sinners. We see God's grace. And I trust sometimes when you're going through a trial, I hope you'll be able to see God's grace. When his hand of prosperity comes, even in the midst of it, maybe it doesn't take it all the way, that you'll see God's hand of blessing even in the midst of that time. It's a good thing. Second thing we can see. We can see God's sovereignty. He's moving history to his end. You know, if, if he, was he not moving the men and the hearts of the people in that day to an end? If he did it then, he can do it today. He is still moving things to an end. Nations that are in upheaval today. I'm so glad God's in control. Working behind the scenes, I see a political system that's broken. God's working behind the scenes. And we can see this. We just get little snapshots of what God does. When we don't see it, all we see is the issues. But we don't see them behind the scenes. God's still in control. Third thing we can see is God rebuking, restoring a family. How would you like to be brought up in Jacob's home, having brothers that would hate you that way, or having the conduct that they were having? God's working in a dysfunctional family. I mean, it is so out of control, so dysfunctional. You would think, how can God ever do anything in the midst of this? I want you to see a little amazing thing in the midst of this. I mean, terribly dysfunctional. You know, Judah's picking up prostitutes. You know, Simeon's doing his thing and Levi and Reuben. But just go back to Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38, verse 29. God's doing a marvelous thing. It, it, it says it here, that he picked up Tamar. Tamar was his daughter-in-law, thought it was a prostitute. You know, and she got pregnant, he wanted to kill her. She showed him, well, no, you, it was you. And he said, I'm guilty. And she has twins. Verse 29. And it came to pass, as he drew back his hand, that behold, his brother came out, and she says... How hast thou broken forth this breach be upon thee? Therefore, his name is called Perez. So the first one that came out of the womb, his name was Perez. 
If you go forward to Matthew chapter 1, you'll find his name in the Messianic line. This is one of the ones in which the Messiah came to us. Even in the midst of all the brokenness and in the midst of all the dysfunction, God in his sovereign view, as he looks down, he says, I'm going to move their hearts and I'm going to move them over here and I'm going to change this dysfunctional family. And even out of this, there's going to be a Messiah that's going to come out of them. That's grace, that's sovereignty, and that's an amazing power of God to do an amazing work. Such is our salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing work. He moves the hearts of men. He moves the hearts of women. And he touches them and he says, I can do an amazing work. And when we place our trust in him, you know, not only are we justified and not only are we sanctified, it even says that we are glorified. Now, I'm looking out at here and I'm not sure if I see a glorified group of people, but you know, in God's eyes, he sees what you will be. We are glorified in the Lord Jesus Christ if we know him. So we have a God of grace, we have a God who is sovereign, we have a God who is rebuking and restoring families, and we have a God that is laying the foundation for our salvation. What an amazing God we have. I want you to go one more last passage, and I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Literally, this is what we are seeing. Romans chapter 8 Verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Those that have placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's working everything to good. Now, it doesn't mean that it's just for Christians if you are lost and you haven't placed your trust in Christ, you know, God still loves you. He's working behind the scenes to change your hearts. He's moving all of history so that you'll be able to see and hear. But you have to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you, those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose, then all things work together for good. That's what we're seeing. We see this as he's moving in the, in the lives of the sons of Jacob, as he's moving their hearts and changing their hearts. Even in the most dysfunctional when you think it's, oh, nothing can ever fix this problem. And God's going to fix the problem. Maybe you're here today and you're going through a trial. You know what I find often when we're going through trials, that's all we see is the trial. Maybe that's all you're seeing. My prayer is that you also have seen God's grace. And I pray that you will be able to see his hand of grace in your life. And maybe it's not being worked out today because Joseph went through 26 years. Maybe it's going to be 10 more years before it really starts changing. Maybe it'll be when you're in all glory. We have a God who's on the throne who's able to do the amazing things. And he's working those things to good that his name will be magnified, but also that other hearts and other people will be touched as well. Maybe some of you really need to be encouraged. My prayer is that this passage will encourage you. 
Maybe there's some of you who really need to say, Lord, I'm just going to submit myself to you. No matter what it is, I see what's going to, I will go on for you.